Welcome to the Psychosphere. My name is David Sutcliffe, and I have a question. I want to get some feedback from y'all before I introduce my guest today, Richard Kwan. The great Richard Kwan. You're going to love Richard Kwan. He's got an amazing story. Chinese medicine and a radical liveness practitioner working out of Toronto, Canada. But people, I'm wondering if I need to change my intro instead of saying welcome to the Psychosphere. Should I say you have now entered the Psychosphere? You have now entered the Psychosphere. Conversations about psychology, consciousness, culture. You know, should I make it sexier? Would that be more... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It seems a little corny to me. It doesn't feel like it's my style. Okay, give me some feedback. You've now entered the psych. I could do it. You know, I did a uh, voiceover for Visa. I was the voice of Visa back in the day. I got a good voice, you got to admit, for radio. I could sell a lot of cars, Toyota cars, Toyota, Tundra, Chevy. Man, I could do all that shit. Ford, Ford Escape, Ford F-150, America's truck. What? Yeah, hire me, people. I'm too controversial now, you know. Again, they're not going to hire me for any advertising. Listen, that's why I'm here in the psychosphere. So I can say whatever the hell I want. And I do, and Richard does. That's what this podcast is all about. That's why Richard called me, said, hey, I want to be on your podcast. I have some things to say. And he does say them, and it's, uh, it's just really happy to have him on. A very smart guy. I'll have him on again for sure. And uh, powerful man, Richard Kwan. And you got to hear about the shamanic dearmoring workshop. Just absolutely fascinating. Shamanic dearmoring. Okay, I, I listen, I got to tease it. I'm, I'm being a little exploitive here, but, you know, I want to keep you listening. Everybody's naked for 15 days, okay? 15 days, everybody's nude. Don't you want to hear about that? Listen to this episode with Richard Kwan. How you feeling? I feel excited. Have you done a podcast before? Have you been a guest on a podcast? Never. This, this is your is first like time. First one. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you've been listening to my podcast. I've been listening to your podcast, and I've been inspired in different ways. How have you been inspired? It's sometimes nice to hear different perspectives outside of the norm. Mm. And to hear what people think, what people learn. I love gathering wisdom from each person because each person has the potential for my evolution and for me to share it with others. And so I love gathering wisdom, not mm. knowledge, wisdom. What's the, that's a, that's what is the difference do you, between knowledge and for, wisdom? For me, knowledge is a mental gathering of information that most of the time and for most of my life, they don't apply. So every time I notice I'm falling asleep or my attention is not understanding something, I have a sense that that knowledge is not resonating with me or it doesn't align with a deeper part of myself. And when I talk about wisdom, it's something that activates me, makes me come alive. I can use it, I can apply it, I can resonate it. It aligns with my heart, it aligns with my deeper knowing and the deeper truth of things. And it's not just in my head. Mm. 
And you've been on a quest for wisdom for a long time. Not specifically. It's almost like wisdom came to me because for the longest time, I grew up in a family where I thought my parents always told me that I was dumb. Really? And I believed it because I wasn't behaving and speaking in accordance to what my culture believes is appropriate. What does your culture believe is appropriate? Korean culture we're talking about. No. No. Chinese culture. Oh, Chinese culture. Why did I think you're Korean? Kwan. Kwan is a Chinese name. Kwan is a Chinese name, but in Korean, K-W-O-N is also Kwan. They also have that last name because there's similar history in the past. I guess they split up, but... For me, in my Chinese culture, relationship is key. Your relationship with people, how you navigate through life is dependent on relationships. And so your relationship with your parents, your parents' relationship with this coworker, how successful I become is dependent on the relationship that I have with the people around me. And the more relationships and connections the better job opportunities I get. I might get to skip through hurdles because of my relationship with my relatives. And so it's almost like a bypassing through a relationship to get to certain positions. And so relationship is so key in our culture. We call it guanxi. Guanxi. Yeah, guanxi. Hmm. Well, this has been a theme on the podcast with all the episodes with Angela, of course, and, and we've been talking about collectivist culture versus individual culture. Were your, were your parents, did, you, did they come from China? My parents uh, were born in Hong Kong and my grandparents were born in China. And that's a whole story about there is a separation of Hong Kong and China in their culture, even though China sees Hong Kong as China uh, and a part of China. But because of colonization by the British for a hundred years, that has shifted the way that Hong Kong has evolved. And so my parents being more Cantonese speaking, because usually Chinese people in the South speaks more Cantonese versus people that are generally in China, they speak Mandarin. And so I was born and raised under a Hong Kong cultural influence. So I spoke Cantonese with my parents, but I would not speak Cantonese with other people unless they spoke Cantonese. And so even till now, I still speak to my parents just with Cantonese. And I've also picked up Mandarin over time when I went to Shanghai to teach English. So Hong, and I know a little bit about the differences between Hong Kong and China. And is Hong Kong, like if your parents coming from Hong Kong, is it, is it, um, less of a, a culture clash or adjustment uh, coming to the West? Well, there's always culture class. Yes. There's always adjustments. Um, if you speak to anybody who've left their home going into a new land with different culture, there's always adjustments. And so because my parents are going to a place that is foreign, they become almost inferior or need to kind of leave behind some of their practices 
to fit in or to become a part of the Canadian culture in which I'm living in. And how was it for you growing up? And you grew up in Canada, in Toronto? I grew up in Canada and Toronto. And growing up was challenging because I had difficulty with identity. What's that mean? I'm considered a Canadian-born Chinese. Mm -hmm. And as a Canadian-born Chinese, I consider myself like a hybrid. I grow up, I don't fully fit in in the Canadian culture. Like, I don't like sports. I'm not into sports. <laughs> For a person that isn't into sports or hockey, it's almost like saying, oh, you're not Canadian. Right. And I'm also not Chinese either because I don't follow the normative traditions of Chinese culture. And in some ways, I didn't grow up with a Chinese education system. Most of my Chinese education system came from watching Chinese movies and TV series. And so as a hybrid, I feel like I get to hide my identity sometimes when I'm with certain cultures. I get to adapt. And it's almost like a survival skill. Yeah. It's like wherever I feel safe, I mutate or adapt to what the norm is in that culture. Interesting. So that that's that's an orientation that you have. I mean a lot of people have that orientation, but I can imagine you what you what I hear you saying is that based on the priority of relationships in Chinese culture, the idea is the, you, your primary is to be in connection with other people. And if that means uh, subjugating some aspects of yourself or your preferences or your beliefs, you will do that because the relationship, family, business, otherwise is, is vital. And that's different, not entirely. I mean, Canada's certainly more collectivist than the United States, but it's still more, it's less collectivist certainly than China. Is, is that, that idea, that concept, that tension, does that exist for you? It had early on when I was young. And when I haven't defined myself, because in the collective culture, there's no space to define yourself often. Your parents tell you who you are. Your parents tell you what you need to do in order to be successful and wealthy. I always say that as a Chinese person, <clears throat> if you have a baby and you were to choose, you want a handsome baby or a wealthy baby, they choose the wealthy baby. Right. Because money can solve all issues. But if you're handsome and broke, you're useless. <laughs> <laughs> and so you uh, will tell us a little bit about like what you do for, for work, like your career. And I know there's layers to it, but just so we can orient here. Yeah. So I practice traditional Chinese medicine. What does that mean? What it means is I practice a type of medicine that's been around for thousands of years, rooting from China. And some may argue where the root comes from, but it is a medicine. It's one of the main treasures of China. I would say there's two main treasures in China. One is 
their Chinese medicine and the second is their food. And so those are their main treasures. And Chinese medicine has evolved over the years and Chinese medicine comprises of acupuncture, herbal medicine, Tuina massage, Qigong, Tai Chi, and Chinese nutritional therapy. And so there is a wide range of modalities that encompasses Chinese medicine. And it treats not only on a physical level, but it treats on a mental, emotional, and even spiritual level. And obviously in China, they, they practice what we'd call Western medicine. How prevalent, I mean, Chinese medicine in the West is uh, acupuncture, Qigong, these, these have taken, certainly. They're not, I wouldn't say they're, they're not quite mainstream. No. But are they in China? It is very interesting. In China, if you were to be injured or you go to the hospital, they would send you to the Western medicine department and then send you to the Chinese medicine department. In some ways, they've integrated both the East and the West. And so when you have, let's say, cancer, they'd send you to the radiologist and then they'd send you to the herbalist to get herbs to support your body. It's almost like if I were to say Western medicine for me is like the soldiers that go in and eradicate all the enemies, good and bad. And the Chinese medicine goes in and repairs and nourishes and supports the healthy parts of the body to further fight whatever their body is being invaded by. And so there is a balance between the Chinese medicine and the Western medicine world. In China. In China. Yeah. But here, as we deal with COVID, you must have thoughts on how we're thinking about and approaching COVID. I have many thoughts. I had many patients that I see that have asked me that question often. And what do, you, what do you say? It's an interesting question because often what I say is related to what that person is struggling with in their life in that moment. Emotionally. Emotionally, physically, mentally. And what I say isn't necessarily giving them a direct answer. I mean, oftentimes my patients are looking for an outer authority to tell them what to do when they're sick, when they're ill, when they're scared of COVID. But the way that I practice isn't necessarily just giving them the answer and being the person that they depend on because that's not healing. For me, healing is empowerment, is helping and guiding the patient to find the answer within themselves to resolve their struggle. And so what I often say is depends on, I can share with them my personal position and or oftentimes I share with them what they need to hear to make a decision, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? It's almost like a, a person who does tarot reading or palm reading. They don't necessarily tell you the answers. This is what's going to happen. They're going to guide you 
in your process or your journey so that you can develop the tools and the skills and the ability to move through that opposition or struggle or resistance that they're going through. Right. And so this happens with not just COVID, but with any problems. So I assume you have a perspective that it's all connected. The physical, emotional, spiritual is all connected. So healing one, essentially you need to heal all and that illnesses can be made manifest by our, uh, emotional issues or uh, spiritual disconnection, let's say. What, what are, do you have, I mean, to go back, like, because it feels to me, I could be wrong, but my sense is with the handling of COVID, nobody's talking about eating healthy or going outside and getting sunshine and exercising and going for a walk. They're just saying stay indoors and if you get it or or, again, get the vaccine, which is, I'm not, it's not pro or anti-vax. It's just, it's a very Western approach. Does that concern you? you, I mean, you must have thoughts and feelings about that. What I often see when a patient comes to see me, especially when a person is um, following an outer authority. Maybe it could be a doctor who's told them what they need to do. Let's say they have a knee pain and they go to a knee surgeon and they say, you have to cut that knee. We got to do a knee replacement, right? Often I find that um, in the West, the approach sometimes is very fear-based. Right. Right. And so when I look at a person in the profession of the healthcare industry, I'm looking at what's their intention What's underneath, right? Is the healer, the, you mean, the, the, the doctor. What's the, the intention? The doctor, the yeah. healer. What's their intention? Right. Are, are they coming from a place where they're projecting their own fear and they're using their own limited lens to give a solution to a person and the fact that they cannot deal with their own fear and that's the only solution that they're open to? Are they more narrow, closed-minded? Or is it someone who's coming a place of care and concern and consideration of where the patient's coming from and supporting the patient's inner authority to make a sound decision? Because I don't want to come from a place where it's based out of fear, per se. I want to support the patient in focusing on what they need to do to get better and healthier. Like some people say, if you focus on cancer enough, you're going to get cancer because right. you're bringing your energy to what are the things that prevent cancer? What are the things I need to do? I want to fixate on my cancer, 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 cancer. But if I were to shift my mindset and say, what do I need to do to feel healthy and strong and be confident in my body that even if I get sick, my body has the ability to fight whatever that comes through my body because we all probably have some degree of cancer cells. It's inhibited because our immune system is strong, that we, through some degrees, take care of ourselves through rest, through eating better, through interacting in a healthy environment. But when we lose awareness, when we lose our sense of authority, when we become lost, we tend to 
put more of our trust in an outside source, whether it be media, a doctor, and we get very confused. Well, because they're confused. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to teach people, as, as I understand it, uh, to uh, cultivate and trust their inner authority, to not look to outside. Certainly we could look for expertise and, and, and knowledge and understanding. We want to listen to all the perspectives, but not to outsource our healing to somebody else and just give over to the doctor or the procedure or whatever it is. You're, you're trying to help people really uh, build this confidence or, or, yeah, this inner authority and knowing that they can actually, I don't want to say heal themselves. Maybe we could go that far, heal themselves, but, but to make themselves healthier. And I often help patients to see and become aware of who they are as a person. Uh -huh. Am I my disease? Am I my emotions? Am I what my doctor tells me who I am? What am I attaching my identity to? Right. Or am I just me? Whoever I feel, however I am, maybe I don't even know who I am. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes... There's this confusion that happens with people that I see. They're confused about what to do. Often patients tell me, what do I do in this situation? What do I do? And some, for some people, they need to shift their way of being in not what they do, but rather sit in the place of non-doing and feel what they feel, who, who they are and what they need to feel through that process. Because sometimes there's nothing that can be done. Right. There's pandemic. There's nothing that you can do. And there are so much we can feel into in what we need to change. Because yeah. change is always happening. It's funny. I had back problems for most of my life. It started when I was in high school. I was an athlete. And it would flare up at different times, and it got it got real bad in my early twenties, and it got better in my in my thirties, and I was able to play hockey and for a lot of years. But it, it would flare up once in a while, and then it got real bad again around forty. Mm -hmm. And I was really frustrated and discouraged, and thought, "Am I going to be living with this for the rest of my life? This is this sucks." Stiffness and sometimes pain, just getting out of bed. I, mean, I felt like an old man, mm -hmm. and. I start and I would work out, you know, but I would, I would be very, very gentle and tender with it. And I walked into this, uh, uh, big weightlifting gym, powerlifting gym in Toronto, Fortis fitness, hardcore right. powerlifting gym. And I thought to myself, all right, I'm going to heal myself. I'm going to heal my back in this gym. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to, my, I can heal myself. Mm -hmm. And I looked around and it's a powerlifting gym. So they deadlift and squat. And I thought, man, if I could deadlift and squat, I, I bet you that would really strengthen my back. Now, that's obviously counterintuitive. Nobody is telling you your back right. problems to right. do deadlifts and squats, <laughs> right? But there was something about it. I just thought, I, I, it was, you know, because I had enough. Like nobody right. was helping me. Right. This was going on forever. No doctor, no, I, I never got surgery for it, but no uh, physiotherapist, nothing worked. None of the exercises I was told to do. 
So for like six months, I just very lightly, you know, I didn't, I didn't do heavy weight, deadlift and squat. Right. And now I can deadlift and squat. You know, I, I you take it easy because, but reasonable amount of weight. My, I don't have any back pain anymore. Right. Right. And it's, and it's so it really, I trust my intuition. It really was confirmation. It's like, you can heal yourself. Like trust what you know, what your body needs. And the gift that that gave me, it's like, I can trust myself. Like there's a knowing inside me. And if I follow that, it's going to lead to a good result. It's I'm going to be able to heal myself. That feels so much more empowering than showing up to the doctor. And, you know, they're incredibly busy. They have a construct that they're working in. They've been educated through a certain kind of education system. There's belief systems built into it. There's a, you know, an infrastructure to that. And, and it's limited. Let's face it. You know, uh, everything is limited. Any, any point of view has a limit to it. Any, um, methodology, any approach always has a limit. So it just feels so much more empowering for me to feel right. like I do, I have developed this inner authority. So yeah, when COVID hit, I had the same approach. Right. I was like, okay, let me feel this out. Like, what do I want to do? And I started to get healthy. I started, I mean, I was already healthy, but to be right. really conscious about it, but I, you know, I made sure that I was getting out and walking and doing all the things. And it was very disturbing to me, particularly in California, and there were, they closed down the beaches, they closed down the hikes. I was like, you're closing wow. down the hikes. You, you know, and there was, I didn't know, we didn't know at the time that it was very hard yeah. for it to be transmissible outside, but right. just intuitively, I was like, what, you're going to catch this, like walking past somebody outside. I, just something about that. I was like, that's not happening. And right. even if it, it does, it's worth the risk. We got to get outside in the fresh air and in the sunshine. And when they close that down, they close, there was a famous video of a, of them pushing a bulldozer, pushing sand into the skate park. It's like kids couldn't mm -hmm. go out and, I thought something, what is happening? This is insane. And I think we did become paralyzed by fear. And we know that the media, their whole business model is based on fear. That's what keeps people coming back and watching. And right. that for me was the most disturbing thing is constantly telling people that they should be afraid. And what that does to not just the psyche, but how that then impacts the, the nervous system, how that impacts... Uh, the whole body and how it's going to then deal with COVID. Because if you are terrified of getting COVID and you think it's you know going to wipe you out, I my belief is it's more likely to do that if that's what you believe. But if you believe that your nervous system is strong, when you get it, that belief has an impact on how you're going to fight off the disease. Is that uh, does that make sense to you? Do you share at least to some degree that philosophy? Yeah, to some degree. And there's something that my client the other day asked me about fear. They were like, we should be past fear in our evolution. Right. Like, why do we even need fear? Yes. Fear is useless. And I was like, well, fear is actually, like, I love fear. I love dancing with fear. I love playing with fear because fear helps me to bring attention back to myself. It brings me back to what I need in the place of healing in the situation that I am. Say, say more. I want to understand so, that. Sometimes fear, let me give an example. So 
Before I got on this podcast, I felt nervous. I noticed my body was like, there's just a lot of energy moving through. And I noticed that I was exhibiting what I would describe as fear. And I've learned that fear helps me to know what's important. Mm. And I've done performances on stage and I know the feeling of right before I go on stage, something really powerful and important is about to happen. Mm. Or right before I make a jump on my snowboard on this high hill, I know something is about to happen. There's a sensation of either being annihilated or um, of, of dying. And there's something there about the fear that tells me I got to do this. Right. Like, it's not just, this is fear. I got to run, the, get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. There's fear. And I think I have to move through this to move to the next level of my evolution. Yes. Well, it focuses you also. I mean, it can freeze you, but can also focus you intensely. Yes. And brings you, yes. can bring you completely present. Yeah. Is that, and in and, that. Go ahead. And in that moment, I notice my will kick in. Like, do I have the will and determine to move through it and bypass all the stories that I have in my head to not do this? Can I trust my inner authority and my body and my feeling that all these physical sensations that I'm having is telling me that this is the thing that I need to do next, that I've prolonged being on a podcast for a long time, even though all my clients and patients tell me you should do a podcast. And really diving deeper into the thing that I fear the most, which helps actually my evolution. And so I need to discern oftentimes what is a healthy dose of fear and what is the kind of fear that causes me to say no to something. And what is the fear uh, coming on a podcast? What what are the thoughts that run through your mind? So there might be a feeling of being exposed, Mm -hmm. the feeling of being judged, rejected, shamed, a feeling of um, risking my profession or my relationships that I have in order to express my true self internally. So the fear even though it's not rational, it may not be true because 99% mm-hmm. of our fears are not true. I still feel it in my body right? as this sensation that I feel that is uncomfortable. But I've learned over time that discomfort sometimes is good. Discomfort mm-hmm. helps me to grow. Discomfort helps me to move towards something that might be potentially good on the other side. And so when a person comes to see me as an acupuncturist and they know I'm going to stick a needle into their body, which is extremely painful, uncomfortable, almost counterintuitive to healing in their minds, I have pain. Why would I go to a person who gives me pain to feel better? Right? Yeah. And this is the very thing that, and, and I practice radical liveness as well, like, we guide patients 
or clients to go to the place that they fear the most, which is most uncomfortable to feel their feelings.、Mm-hmm. Acupuncture is more direct.、Mm. I put a needle onto their body, and they must feel something now, immediately. How does acupuncture work? Now that we're on the subject, I want to get to the radical aliveness because that's a really interesting part of your、yes. story, and、yes. that's something that we share. But I don't think I mean, I've gone to acupuncture, and I, I, you know, you kind of see the charts in the walls, and they tell you a little bit yeah, about yeah, you know, what、yeah. it is and how it works. But yeah, how does it work? Acupuncture. There is a more Western answer, and then there is more of an energetic answer.、Mm-hmm. And so the Western answer would be acupuncture stimulates. The central nervous system of the body, activating the chemical responses to reduce pain in the body, on a very scientific explanation. But in terms of an energetic explanation, acupuncture, we often have a theory where when there's a blockage, there's pain. When there's no blockage, there's no pain. So、mm. acupuncture simply. Unblocks the energy flow wherever it's blocked, and allows energy to move. So oftentimes we say emotion gets stuck in the body because emotion is energy in motion. When we suppress or don't allow ourselves to feel or hold emotions and feelings, and we don't say what we truly feel, we are actually creating blockages in our own system to our own device. And it's up to ourselves to help move the energy, or they can use acupuncture to facilitate the movement of energy. And that's why sometimes when I do acupuncture, patients cry, patients feel scared, patients feel angry or irritated. But that is not because of me, but because of what it triggers inside of them、hmm. that they've been holding for a long time. Well, and that's、uh, one of the foundational philosophies of radical liveness, really. This idea、Precisely. that we have、uh, blocked energy and, and、uh, that causes us、uh, well physical issues, but also emotional, psycho spiritual issues, and which creates distortions and which impacts our relationships and our career and our sense of self worth and our relationship with spirit. The whole, the whole, the whole shebang. What? Because so you just. There's not a lot of Asians in radical aliveness. Not a lot of Asians get drawn to. Not at all. Yeah, and it's a thing, right? When you have an Asian person in the group, you always feel like it, you you sense the the difference in the cultural orientation. And you know, I'm going to make a generalization, but there's a a, a feel there's a, a Asian culture from my point of view. There's a kind of rigidity and a、uh, not a priority. On emotional expression, is that fair、mm. to say? Or at least maybe maybe that's not true. Maybe it's just in in the way that we do it in the West. Because I watch a lot of Chinese movies, and yeah, <laughs> they're pretty. <laughs> there's a lot of emotional expression. Yeah, and yeah. also if you look at the、uh, masters, like of the martial artists, world, right, right, they don't show any emotion right, because it's right. all internal. I see. Because they've cultivated inner movement of energy. I see. When I'm still, there's a shit ton of energy moving in my system that I'm not expressing. Because if I express it, then I lose it. 
Yes, I understand. But when I hold it in and I feel it, it helps me to connect to my truth of knowing of what I need to do. And so there's an intentionality in what I say and my, how I express it. And so it is partially true that in the Chinese culture, we often don't say what we think, let alone express how we feel. And I grew up in that environment often where we don't always express how we truly feel because we consider too much often the impact that it has on the other person. Because uh... if I fully express to you how I feel, I might risk losing this relationship with you. Yes. And that is not relational. And so the orientation of my collective culture is around harmony and relationships mm. rather than self-centered needs or what makes me feel good. Because sometimes what makes me feel good has negative impact on the other person. And at the same time, if I consider the other person too much, I lose also my sense of self of what I need. Right. So, what, so there's a healthy balance. Yeah, no, I'm seeing that. And I, I feel you here, the, the idea of, of being with your emotions, but not discharging them and holding on to that energy and being able to be intentional with them. That's, that's a very powerful concept. Radical aliveness is the exact opposite of that. I mean, may, maybe the process of it is training you to ultimately get there. But mm -hmm. the training of it is, well, from my point of view, maybe you have a different, you had a different experience and a different perspective, but it's full self-expression. Yes. And full self-expression looks different for different people. Right. That's true. I can true. say that I'm not saying anything and I'm silent and I'm in my full self-expression. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Because just because you're loud, it doesn't mean that your full self-expression and that's it. That's the standard for soul, full self-expression. Yes. Because I can feel a lot from a person even when they're saying nothing. How was radical aliveness for you? <laughs> like, how was it? So just for people listening, it's a four-year training program. It's led by Ann Bradney. I was part of the first class, and I, yeah. I did the four years, and... I know the school changed a lot after I left, but I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty intimately acqu uh, acquainted with the uh, the nature of the work and with Anne and her philosophy. I taught at the school for a couple of years, so, and I have my own uh, take on it. But how yeah. was it for you? So I have to share a little bit of background before I dive in, which is a little vulnerable. I grew up as. Um, I grew up as a very proper, conservative Asian man that follows the rules. Mm -hmm. And I grew up as a Christian. Mm. And so I did all the things that I thought was the right thing for me. And I lived very much on the line of doing the right thing for most of my life. And when I was young, I had decided at a very, very early age that my emotions did not serve me. And I, like a faucet, I turned it all off because I grew up when I was young, my dad 
had beaten me out of discipline. And my dad embodied a lot of anger and my mom embodied a lot of fear and sadness. And so there was no space for me to feel my feelings. And I was bullied when I was young. And so oftentimes when I cried, it just encouraged more bullying. Mm. And so at a very young age, I knew I was a very sensitive man, but that did not serve me in the world that I grew up in. Right. And so I decided to bury a lot of my feelings and I became very intellectual. I became almost like very rigid and cold to some degree. And so not a lot of things impact me when I was younger growing up until I had divorced in my mid thirties. And I found radical liveness to be something that was so intriguing for me because I was already on that path of evolution. I was rediscovering what it means to be me after my divorce. And sometimes in life, it takes a big cataclysmic event for awakening to happen. And it did for me. And I resonated with radical liveness. I met Anne and I didn't even meet her out of the right context. I was taking a Qigong workshop in Hollyhock and I met all these radical liveness people and they just invited me to paddle boarding and they were so open. And I was like, who are these hippies? And it was so different from my conservative upbringing. And so I can say that when I went into radical liveness, when I decided that that was the journey that I was going to take, it cracked me open. It took a while because I had a lot of conditioning. It took mm -hmm. me probably a year because I was in my lower self of, I don't need this. I can help everyone. I was in that collective culture of, I don't need help. I'm going to help every single person in the room to process. I'm going to, I'm going to master this. Right. And I'm going to be better than everyone around it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And I remember you, David, mm -hmm. when you were assisting, there was this one time where you helped me to get to the deeper parts of myself that I never tapped into before. Mm. I remember this distinctly. You told me to lie down mm -hmm. and I couldn't feel anything. I was stuck in the process and you did something that I probably was like, at the time was like so weird. You lied on top of my body. Mm. I don't know if you remember. I remember, I remember. And I went deep into my body and the animal self of, of my body started waking up. Mm. I started feeling my energy. I started feeling my breath. The pressure on my body helped me to feel. Yeah. And I learned that I thrive on pressure. I need pressure, physical touch and pressure for me to feel my physical body, that the solution that I needed to look for was not in my head. It was in my body. Mm -hmm. And that spiraled me deeper into my journey of reclaiming all my feelings and emotions. And it took me years for me to be able to reclaim my tears to the place where I want to cry, to the place where I want to be angry because that's where my masculine power came from. Mm -hmm. I did this amazing exercise where 
I was invited to swear in Chinese. <laughs> at, at, at Radical Liveness? At a Radical Liveness in a safe container. Yeah. Because when we're doing this, I can't bring it unless I feel safe. And Radical Liveness created a lot of safe opportunities for me to find myself again. Mm -hmm. And the moment I tapped into it, it was fucking powerful. And the feedback that I got was that, like, Richard, you're fierce, you're powerful, you're sexy, I can feel your energy, and it felt really good. And that was when I realized that my animal self had woken up, I felt my genitals, I felt my power as a man, not the negative self of, I just want to attack everyone, but the part where I want to protect what was hurt deeply within myself mm -hmm. at a very young age, that I didn't protect myself because I wasn't good with boundaries. Right. And that I gave away my power in order to gain trust for friendship. Mm -hmm. In a way, I was emasculated because I didn't allow my power, my anger, to move through me. Well, you had no choice. I mean, you were being bullied by, it sounds like, schoolmates and, and your father, uh, probably letting your anger and rage come through. Uh, that was or, not okay. Yeah, you were, probably would have made it worse. Exactly. And so, so I kept the relationship by not bringing it. Right. But I'm learning that there is a balance in being able to bring myself without needing to go all the way to the rage. It, it, in in keeping the relationship. It, yes, yes. Yeah, well that's, you know, we th that's why you have these spaces, that's why these spaces are so important so you can go all the way into them without having to worry about holding back and and without really having to worry about impact. I mean, once you set the proper container and the framework of what you're doing, it's like and everybody understands what we're doing here. It's like right. go for it, have at it, right? And right. and what's so powerful about it is the thing that we've been holding back all our life because we're terrified to bring it out or we think it's wrong or shameful, when we bring right. our energy out all the way, it always enlivens the room. Everybody stands yes. up and everybody's, they feel yes. their energy, they feel permission. Suddenly yes. it's like, oh my God, I can see you, I can feel you, there you are. And that experience is so profound. This, Like I said, this mm -hmm. thing we've been hiding for all life, in some way, you know, it's a shame, we think it's a shameful aspect of ourselves. And right. we think if people see it, it's that's the end. They're going to run right. away. They're going to, you know, abandon us or alienate us or they're going to kill us, you know, not literally, but and it has the exact opposite effect. And then once you are able to integrate that energy within yourself and know mm -hmm. it, then you can take it out into the world in a way that is useful right. and not distorted and not do damage. Because when that energy is held in the body, unconsciously right. it's coming out somehow some way somewhere it can't right. stay it, it's some and it's always going to be sideways or underneath or passive aggressive right. and it, that makes it very difficult to have relationships any kind of relationships right so that i mean it, you know it, it's an oversimplification certainly of uh, of what radical liveness and core energetics really is but it's like that but intuitively everybody gets that it's good to feel your feelings and like if you can create a space where everybody can just let it all out including the you know it's yes, yes the pain the fear the terror the sadness the grief but also this 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 murderous rage because if you've been bullied by your father told you're stupid 
bullied mm-hmm. at school, there's, there's, I mean, I'm, there's a party that probably like you're holding back. It's like, fuck you. I will fucking kill you motherfucker. And right. that's got to be exercised. That's got to be allowed to come out. And in fact, that, that when that comes out, that actually allows us to feel what's underneath that, which is the pain, you know, how right. painful and scary. Cause of course you can't feel that. That's just like, as you said, it's just going to make it worse. So it's a whole unraveling, and really, yeah, you're inviting all these lost parts of yourself back so you can make yourself whole again. Right. That's how I and see it's, it. It's been quite the journey because I'm, I mean, we're always in process, especially when it comes to parents. And right. I noticed that over the years, I have stepped more into my power than I ever have. And I'm still learning how to be in relationship with my parents because my parents, they don't know what I do sometimes. They don't know that I've studied radical liveness. They kind of do. They kind of know this thing, but they don't understand what it is. Right. And it's hard for me to sometimes share my process and that's on me because I still go to the young place when I'm with my parents and I'm learning how to bring my energy when I'm with them rather than seeing them as these like monsters or uh, parents that like, oh, they don't really care or make a story out of what I think or assume my parents are, mm-hmm. but rather learning how to first create space with them so that I can have my own boundaries because they tend to not honor my boundaries. And when they do, it actually helps me to feel into my feeling of desire so that I don't feel obligation because in culture, we often have this obligation because I'm the older Uh, I'm the eldest of three and there's obligation that I need to take care of them, love them and uh, spend time with them. And this aspect of guilt often lands really hard. Um, If I don't do that, that's dishonoring. That's um, that's you're not being a good son. And I have to work through that process and find a place of harmony within myself to love them in a way that feels free and not because I have to, but because I want to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Releasing the obligation, making the choice. Mm-hmm. How has the radical liveness training impacted your Chinese medicine practice or has it? It has definitely because radical liveness is a very embodied training program. It's not, in the head and it's also adaptable it it evolves radical liveness evolves mm-hmm. all the time and i'm still working as a faculty as a part of radical liveness and so i can see that Anne bradley she's evolving and the way that we think the way that we see what does the non-expert model means and so it has actually influenced my practice in many regards to help me to become more aware as a person of authority how to be responsible, how to bring my higher self when working with my clients and not coming in just as an expert, knowing this is what you need to do, this is what you should do, and but rather um, shifting my energy and working with my patients to support them in their journey in a way that feels whole. Mm-hmm. It's not forced and it helps me to get in touch with my own feelings when I'm working with my patients 
because I can't help them without my own feeling. My spirit cannot see their spirit if I don't work on my own spirit. Right. And so the container is only as big as as much as I've worked on. If I have not worked on my anger or my shame or my judgment, I will bring that into the relationship with my clients. Right. Patients. Yeah, they can only go as far as you've gone and explore the territory that you've explored. Right. And it's tricky because I don't think you get to the end of it all. So we all have blind spots as a, as a healer, uh, for lack of a better term, it, you know, th- th- it's inevitable. They're there. I mean, you had, in a sense, you have to work on them because eventually, <laughs> eventually you're going to have a client that's going to call you on your bullshit. Right. <laughs> and then you have to use it. You have to say, oh, okay, well, welcome to life. Like, you know, this is what it is. There's no perfect human being. You're not a perfect human being. And how does it feel? And, and, and then that's a process where you can help actually help them claim their inner, inner authority. But it's, it's a lot to, it's a lot to hold, as you said, the responsibility of, uh, of the leadership there is, I think that's a really important, uh, concept. Are you, uh, I mean, you're at your faculty at the school, are you practicing or do you have groups? Do you have clients that, that, that specifically dealing with radical liveness or, or, you know, therapy yeah. for lack of a better term? I do see one-on-one clients. Mm-hmm. And I also, I did run groups prior to COVID and I decided not to run groups um, now because of the situation, but I can foresee that in the future, I would want to run groups again. And when I run groups, um, it's not just radical liveness. I bring in different modalities that I've picked up over the years, uh, bringing not only a Western perspective, but also Eastern perspective. Because uh, I teach Tai Chi and Qigong for many mm. years. And so a lot of these practices are basically bringing us back to our body in order f- for us to feel. And so any practice that helps the clients to feel is serving of the process that they're going through. Did you bring some of that to the, to the Radical Liveness School while you were there as a student and now as faculty? I did. Um, Cause I think I it's, did, I think it's uh, probably needed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, it's got its own bias, right? Yeah. It's, you know, it's and orient towards, towards, you know, real powerful self-expression and which is why I was right. drawn to her. Cause that was very appealing to me, but you're right. Not everybody expresses themselves the same way. And there's other tools that, uh, and skills and practices that are incredibly useful. Definitely. Definitely. Hmm. Yeah. So, It's been quite the journey in figuring out for myself what I want to do with what I've gathered over the years, where I want to go, and why am I here on earth? Like, why why Mm. do I exist? What do I want to do with my life? Where do what how how do I serve the people that entrust their lives and their health with me? And I think a part of it is that I don't know. And a part of it is I trust that whatever I'm doing now that brings more aliveness for me will lead me deeper to the place of where I need to go. It's almost like I'm, I don't have control over my life in the future, but Mm -hmm. what I do have control is whenever an opportunity arises that I feel into my body and see if that resonates with 
like a hell yes or a no. Mm-hmm. So what is your relationship now with your rational mind? How much do you rely on it? I tend to still use my rational mind in certain situations. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, I spend time alone being more in my body. I've been um, getting weekly massages for me to really connect with my body more. I've been taking singing lessons mm. to really connect to my breath and my voice. And I teach Tai Chi and Qigong. And so these physical practices, whatever it is, um, different for different people, I think is so much needed yeah. for me to be more in touch with the part of me that feels rather than the part of me that thinks. Right. And so when I feel a lot, I tend to just sit in that until that passes because sometimes there are emotional waves that come and go in my body and there's nothing that I can do than to just allow myself to do nothing and feel and be with. Did it take you a long time to learn how to do that? It did. That's, that's like, that's a master skill. I mean, that's, I try to teach that with my clients all the time. Like basically like just see if you can, especially now where I'm doing most of my, uh, sessions online. So I don't have mm -hmm. access to the full toolkit. I don't have a block that they can hit and scream and yell. Right. So the, that, that strong emotional expression isn't there as an option. So it's caused me to move towards, well, sit with it, sit with it, be with it, get in relationship right. with it, see if you can tolerate the feeling and, and then see what happens, see how it moves, see if it moves, see if there's information there, see if there's something that you can understand or, and if you can learn that, uh, and, and really master that, like it's a game changer because you're much less reactive. So it's, it's been good for me to be forced and because of COVID and, to, to have to teach that and then find that in myself. Right. Um, you know, that said, I do miss the, uh, the, <laughs> I do miss the, the emotional expression. Cause you can also feel their sessions where it's like, I, I, I they got to get this out of their system. Like the, the block has to move. Like sitting with it is they can sit with it right. after they've, you know, right. annihilated their father or whatever they need to do. Exactly. So, because sometimes I can suggest meditation, but it does nothing for some people because they just can't sit and meditate. Right. They can't go into their feelings unless some feelings need to be moved. Maybe anger needs to be moved. And so there's always um, different people need different things. Yeah. And I recognize that. There is no one thing that fits all. The most important thing is, am I able to feel into their field and what they need and want? And can I encourage that part of them that needs to be amplified, needs to be supported, needs to be expressed, needs to be named? Mm. And if I can sense that something is shifting, it could mm -hmm. be a smile, it could be like their eyes are opening, then I know I'm on the right track because right. there's something that's shifting their energy. I want to go back because you said you're taking singing lessons and you, you've been listening to the podcast. And one of the themes of the podcast for, for both Angela and I has been coming out, 
mm. expressing ourselves more fully. We've been expressing our opinions. That's something that I've, I've done in the past, but I'm doing it in a, in a stronger way. And it, it, it definitely feels like a risk. Right. And, and we're in times where, you know, there's, uh, you, <laughs> you know, there's consequences to having certain opinions and Angela has been coming out and it's been a big risk for her as well. And so, you know, I assume in, in some way that's been, uh, resonating with you, that concept. And so I, I guess, and then you, you, you reached out to me and said, you want to be on the podcast. So there's something, is there something for you? Like you're coming out, like you want to express yourself more that you have these ideas that you've been uh, developing the philosophies and that it's time for you to, to share it on a, in a broader way with the world, finding your voice in a sense. Yeah. I would call it honoring all of who I am, mm. welcoming all of the parts, the good parts, the dark parts, and not shaming any of these parts. And when I'm able to give a voice and name to them, it helps me as a being to step deeper into what I believe and what I stand for based on what I know and my experience. Mm -hmm. And there's still a lot that I don't know, but I think there's a lot that people want to hear. And it's not like I wanted to do this. A lot of people told me that they would love to hear me talk on podcast mm. and that what I'm sharing with them are helpful. And of course, there's a part of me that holds back. Maybe I have judgments or shame, or maybe I feel like it's not the right environment because of course, with the right container, I can share. And I think that I was felt ready to step into my power to share what's meaningful for me. Mm -hmm. Maybe some people will hear what I say and it shifts or changes the way they think and feel because I hold a different perspective. Right. Well, I hold you... a perspective that not a lot of people have sometimes. Because of the uniqueness of your, the entirety of your story. Exactly. The, the, the son of Chinese immigrants in Canada, certain kind of cultural issues happening. The fact that you were bullied. And I'm sure there's, there's other things that we haven't covered. And then mm -hmm. this path towards Chinese medicine and then radical aliveness. It's a pretty unique combination. And right. is that, is that what you mean? Like, so from that, the entirety of that perspective, you have something unique to share. Yeah. In the entirety of my perspective, but not only that, I mean, I believe that every person has something unique to share. Right. And I want to take the plunge into that so that I would also be able to support others in doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. I can't support others if I've never done it. That's right. And never experienced it and felt it. I would not tell someone to do something I've never done. Do you feel like so far in this conversation, the essence of your philosophy, uh, your thinking has come out? I think there's more. What, Definitely. what, what more is it? What do we, what have we not got to what, what, what else is there that's important to you? to say, do you think? Even as you ask me that question, I notice 
um, a bit of fear coming up. It's like, oh, I am holding back. Mm -hmm. There are things that I don't want to tell you. Well, it's your first podcast, you know. It is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there are things that I have discovered that I do want to share. Mm. And it is edgy Mm. because I've done things that maybe some people judge as societally wrong or shameful. Mm. And I think for me to share something deeper, it requires me to slow down, Mm. to feel into it first before I can share what it is. Right. You have to feel safe, I guess, as well. Exactly. And you also have clients who see you in a certain way and and maybe revealing things would uh, change the way that they uh, see you and look at you. I know Angela's having that experience. And and I I think most of my clients knew that I was psycho before they signed up. So I'm kind of okay. (laughs) But I'm losing losing a lot of people who may have been, no, he's out. Fuck that guy. He's but crazy. you're also gaining a lot of people too. That's David. true. That's true. No, I want to say that it's two sides of the coin. Yeah. Everything has a pro and con. And I think that the thing that's probably edgiest for me to share is my journey in my sexuality mm-hmm. and in the place of when I went through a workshop called Shamanic Dearmoring. Mm-hmm. That was a game changer for me. What happened? Shamanic dearmoring. Yeah. Powerful. Very powerful. I've done many workshops in my life. I've taken a lot of different things. I've even done radical aliveness. And I would say shamanic dearmoring is next level. Wow. It's basically the things that we don't do in radical aliveness, mm. which is touching into sexuality. Yeah. Because sexuality, for me, um, requires a really strong container for me to feel safe to dive into. And when I went to shamanic dearmoring, I was at a phase where I was still moving through my own shame around my sexuality. And I've struggled for many years with pornography and struggled with my perspective of what it means to be a man. I've struggled and I have judgments even with men. What do you mean? It wasn't. You have judgments with men. Yeah. I have judgments with men because at a very young age, I've noticed that I had to, castrate myself as a man to be safe with other women. I felt like I had to put away my masculine energy in order for a woman to feel safe. Right. And, and that's so sad because I had a judgment with, for example, I think upbringing, I saw men as angry, um, possessive, 
uh, sneaky and aggressive and harmful. And I think a lot of it came from bu being bullied and having an angry father. Right. You didn't want to be like that. I do not want to be like that. And so I judged it and I shamed it and I shamed it within myself over the years because I didn't have a healthy perspective of what masculine energy was. Mm -hmm. And so I became um, more leaning towards my feminine self. Right. I was more passive. I didn't bring my dominant side. I didn't say what I wanted. I wasn't direct. I was indirect. And so for many years, I leaned towards the authority that people gave me in the masculine energy, but not necessarily reclaiming my own masculine energy. And it wasn't until I went into my power, my anger, my rage, and it wasn't until I actually looked at my body physically and looked at the shame that I had that I was able to move through and see that it was my judgment and my shame and my block and my defenses around the masculine energy. And I, it took me a while before I really got it, what it means to be a man. And what did you get? What I feel in my body, my animal self, has a lot to do with what it means to be a man. Right. It's like my primal energy. The part of me I, I associated with uh, the energy of a barbarian or a Viking. Yeah. Like, I just want to go and eat what I want to eat, fuck what I want to fuck. I want to um, dominate and do what instinctually as an animal I would want to do. Like if you've ever had a dog, yeah. the dog does whatever he wants. Yeah, yeah. There's no stopping him. Yeah, and they're having a good time. And they're having a fucking good time. Yeah, and they have no shame. No, not at all. And so in the process of shamanic I had to be in a room full of naked bodies. And I needed to look at my relationship with my genital sense of self. Like I had to look at the parts of me that I've shamed and reestablish a healthy relationship with my genital. Hmm. So you're, th this is incredible. Uh, you're in a room full, everybody's naked. At, I mean, they're, I'm sure they're not naked 24 seven at the workshop, but there's, there's elements or, or are you? Mostly. Really? And the process of shamanic dearmoring is helping the individual to get in touch with their sexual energy, using their sexual orgasmic energy as a, a very powerful fuel to our life force. Right. And so everything that I do as a man comes from my sexual energy. And if I can tap into that and utilize that in my everyday interaction with people, in a way, it will bring healthier relationships. And so the term, like, I want to fuck the world or I want to have sex with the world is actually tapping into the part of me as a man that wants to engage with the world 
in a healthy way, mm-hmm. not in a disrespectful way, but in a relational way where I don't hold back my energy yes. when I'm with someone. Because when I hold back my energy, I have incongruencies in my body. And so when I went with a woman and I say yes and I say no, it is incongruent. But if I say fuck yes, it's clear, it's direct, and I can only tap into that energy through knowing not on a mental level, but on my physical, genital level, what I want. Right. That, that, these are powerful concepts. And, you know, I, I relate. I think all men, I mean, women too, you know, the women have a whole other story and a whole other history, but we're two dudes right. talking. So we'll stay, we'll stay in our, our lane here. Right. Um, there's a lot of sexual shame that I think men uh, face, particularly now lately, you know, mass, I mean, toxic masculinity. I always found that uh, phrase just ridiculously uh, destructive because of course, you know, the mind hears it as, masculinity is toxic. A four-year-old cannot parse the meaning of that right. word. So the, and it's everywhere. And, 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 and for good reason, you know, men have corrupted their power and they've been abusive, like, you know, like your father and a lot of other men. Right. But what I learned, uh, you know, through my experiences with, you know, fortunately I dated a lot of uh, great, powerful women along the way, is they felt safer with me, uh, more aroused by me, more drawn to me when I was, uh, my animal was unleashed. Right. And I, I, I took what I wanted essentially, <laughs> you know, right. with, with consciousness, with awareness of impact and, and, and in relationship clearly, right. like there's a, it's a dance, right. But you know, giving yourself. And I remember the moment where, uh, I was encouraged, you know, I was in my twenties by a girlfriend. She was just like, just go all the way. Like, just, just, just do what you want. Like, I, I really want that. And I was like, I don't, well, but what if she's like, no, that turns me on. That's what turns me on. And then I went all the way Mm -hmm. into it. And it just like, just, which is a, it's a surrender, right? You're surrendering. And there was a lot of safety that was created in, in that dynamic before. And then, and then I felt her body surrender right. to that energy, kind of the feminine surrender. She just completely gave over to me. And in that, when I saw her in that state, completely surrendered, I, I, I was in absolute awe of the power right. of that surrender. And then I started to understand the whole, that whole dynamic in such a different way. Cause of course you're dominating a woman. There's something that's bad or wrong about that. But when then right. I saw her deep in her pleasure, when I brought mm-hmm. all of my power to her, right. all of my wanting, you right. know, that it, it took her into ecstasy and, and that, that surrender was, I, you know, to this day, I remember that moment and I, I, you know, it's like the most powerful thing I've ever seen in my life. Right. So it was a game changer for me. And it's, it's, these are important things to understand. And it's in fact, I think the understanding of our, our animal that's inside us. And, you know, if you think about our ancestors, how we got here, you know, there was a lot of rape (laughs) that was happening in our ancestors. That's just how they roll, roll into the village, kill the men, rape the women and, and move on. 
Right. That's how it was for a, for a long, long time. So that's in our DNA. And obviously we're not, we don't want to be doing that now, but the energy is still there. And there's something about acknowledging that aspect, that quote unquote, uh, dark, I mean, that that's a judgment in a sense, but let's just say that that animalistic aspect of us and knowing it and, uh, having consciousness around it and, and then bringing it out to the world. Right. And that's why for some people they like, um, kink play right. and going into roles because they get to act in their most dominant self in a safe container, their true yang or their true yin. And it's a dance, right. as you said. It's not like I'm dominant and that's it. I'm dominant and then there are moments when I become submissive right. in the dance that helps the woman to feel her power. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like I'm this and that's it. There is a energetic exchange I can feel into what turns her on or what makes her feel good and what doesn't and honor the boundaries right. in the container that's set. So this shamanic dearming workshop, uh, it, it, as I understand it, it, you know, what you're saying is that it gave you permission to uh, feel and make contact with and express and I guess integrate all of your sexual expression, desire, want, dominance, power, things that you had felt shame about previously. And why it's called Mm de-armoring is that um, when we're young, we have all these defenses and armoring in our body. And in Radical Liveness, we talked about the five character structures in shamanic de-armoring. They also talk about the five character structures Mm. And going through the process of um, unarmoring the defenses means that we get more in touch with our power and that when we are in our, when we're undefended and unarmored, that is when I can truly step into the world in my full power and not go into my defenses or my armoring. And so the process is a process of eliminating shame. Yes. Shame is an armoring or eliminating my own judgment. And through a process of two weeks of de-armoring, coming out the other side, I feel so much more liberated. Hmm. I notice the change in my relationship with people. Mm-hmm. I notice that I don't feel the same level of shame in the world that I used to. Mm-hmm. And I can see sex in a more healthy way for myself Mm. so that I don't judge it. I allow it because it's normal. It's very human thing for me to feel my sexual energy and I can use it to be creative in the world. I can use my aliveness in the world and help support people in a way that feels safe and it feels good. So it's two weeks, this shamanic de-armoring? It is. That's how long it was? And you're naked the whole time, mostly. I mean, you're not naked mostly. eating dinner. Like you, you put the clothes on to go eat dinner. It's in the room, in the, in the, or people are just naked. People are just naked. <laughs> wow. Some are naked having dinner, some are not. Wow. I mean, you start to get used to it when you are in it, right? Yeah, just like imagine. when we're in radical aliveness, it's like, 
wow, everyone's crying, screaming. But then after a few modules, you're like, oh, this is normal. Right. We're just here expressing our emotions and this is normal. Yeah. It's like stepping into chaos. Sound, it seems so vulnerable. What, like, what, were you scared to go? I mean, I, I you know, I've done a lot of fucking crazy. I mean, I, you know, I, I'd be fine, but, uh, I, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, and I could feel the voyeur in me, you know, like yeah, what, what yeah. the fuck? Everybody's naked. What's happening? You know, I want to know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what, how was it to, to, to make that choice and go? It must've been terrifying or was it? Or is exciting. The, proce- the process is definitely powerful because even before I sign up and leading to signing up, the process has begun once you sign up. Right. Because you've signed up for something that's super vulnerable, something that's life-changing. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen. And so there are some fears, but most part, I like being in the unknown. Hmm. And I think... Shamanic dehumoring isn't for everyone, but I think for some people that are ready yeah. to take that next step. Like when I, when I share about shamanic dehumoring, I'm very selective of who I share it with because it doesn't resonate with everyone. Some people might have judgment. It might bring up fear. Some people <laughs> might freak out. And so I have seen, um, I do also see clients that I recommend them to go through this process mm-hmm. and they come out on the other side with support and their life is turned upside down. Their world wow. has changed because of that process. Imagine going into the depths of your vulnerability. And Radical Lifeness does that too. But try being naked for two weeks with a bunch of people in a room. Well, back in the day, apparently that's how they used to do it in Radical, not in Radical Liveness and Coronogenics. They, there was, uh, there uh-huh. was nudity. They would, they would, it wasn't all the time, but they, they, they right. would take off their clothes, I think, back in Paracas's day. And then my right. first workshop with Anne, first couple, uh-huh. she, she squashed this eventually. But right. people got down to the, it was a, an afternoon where we were all in our underwear, whatever felt appropriate bathing suit. To, to really right. do body readings and all of that. And it was a big deal. It is very vulnerable to, to really let people see your body. It is. And it takes a specific kind of container for you to feel safe enough to be in and to trust. How many because people? 20, 30 people. 20, 30 people. And how many, a couple leaders? What's, what's, what's there the... is uh, two leaders. There's assistants. And it Where happens was this? At least twice a year. It happens in Arizona and it happens in Australia. Really? There's a website. You go yeah, Google Shamanic Dearmoring, you'll find all about it. Honey, Shamanic Dearmoring, we're going. <laughs> I think she'll be into it. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Good for you. So you are a brave man. Is that true? I mean, that's how I'm experiencing you now. Do you feel that way about yourself? And just because, you know, especially I, you know, my mother, they're from New York, right? So Mm -hmm. I grew up in a household where there was a lot of self-expression. People were loud and and things got expressed and screaming and yelling and crying. I mean, so radical liveness for me felt like I was right at home. Right. There was no issue there. But for you to, it's, it's a much, and for a lot of people, it's, that's it's terrifying to go into that environment and to do that and then to go do this shamanic dearmoring and then to come in this podcast and talk about it. Right. 
like you really you really are coming out richard i am and i often say that the path to healing is to move towards pleasure or pain Mm -hmm. and for me if i can see shamanic dearmoring as a place of pleasure that i will get over time versus the amount of pain that i'm exhibiting right now Mm -hmm. because we tend to move away from pain yeah like it feels uncomfortable it feels scary why would i subject myself to pain but there's pleasure when you realize that the pain doesn't actually kill you right it actually makes you feel more especially for people who are numb who are i call them asleep who have not had any kind of awakening even just a little bit wakens their consciousness Mm-hmm. And so to go into shamanic yarmoring, I'm asking to be changed. I'm asking for something to shift and for me to move t- towards p- uh, pleasure because I want to allow myself to have pleasure. Growing up, I never allowed myself to have pleasure. Growing up in church, I was judged for having pleasure. Mm-hmm. Like it's not okay to live a pleasurable life. Yeah. As a Chinese man, you don't enjoy until you're older. You got to right. suffer. You got to work right. hard. You got to be working and being successful. And maybe when you retire, you have pleasure. Right. Is that now your orientation? Is that what you think about? Like, Is that why you've been doing all this work? I mean, for me, and, and at least in this moment, my orientation, people say, why do you do all this stuff? I'm always like, I'm trying to get free. I want to get free. I want to be free. I want to be free inside my own mind. I want to be free of restrictions, free of shame. So then I can, the, the world opens up for me and I can really, you know, expand to, and, and all have be my, the full expression of all of who I am, which I, I guess I would associate that with pleasure. Freedom mm-hmm. is pleasure in some sense. For me, I want to experience what it means to be human. Mm. I want to have the full range of human experience. And I want to feel the depths of my pain and the depths of my pleasure. And I want to grow and evolve in that process. And whoever wants to come with me, I will share and I will be with people who want to be free, be liberated, be in their power, be alive, be radical. Richard Kwan, thank you. I think it's a good place to stop. Thank you, David. Yeah, man. It was a pleasure. Yeah, dude. That was a good conversation. I appreciate you sharing so uh, so openly and honestly. You, you definitely have a lot of wisdom. I hope you keep doing this maybe maybe you do your own podcast i don't know i think that's very possible yeah that would make a lot of sense mm-hmm. um that was great that was powerful this yeah wow thank you man thank you for taking the time thank you for reaching out you're welcome yeah you feel how do you feel i feel good mm-hmm. i feel i feel complete mm-hmm. for now mm-hmm. and uh I want to see what is the impact. <laughs> yeah. I love hearing the impact. And so I'm probably going to tell a bunch of people that have done this. And yeah, I hope so. Yeah, tell everybody. 
Yeah. No, I think you did great. I mean, I think it's, it's, you said a lot and you said it in a very uh, powerful way. So uh, I know like my audience is going to get a lot from it and uh, uh-huh. your perspective and uh, your story and, and then, you know, to take it all the way. I'm glad, I'm glad we got there to the, the shamanic, the, the armoring. I mean, I think I might have to go. This sounds phenomenal. <laughs> it will change your life. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah.